The prophet Elijah shows up in 1 Kings 17. First thing he's doing is pronouncing a curse on the land. In response to Israel's apostasy, the evil of the house of Ahab, the leader at that time, it will neither rain nor do except at my command for the next few years. James 5 tells us that that period of time was three and a half years. And yet, that was a prologue event, a prologue, an event that sets up another event for the miracle that was about to occur on Mount Carmel, three and a half years later. Now, you and I are at a very similar moment in time. Now, we have to be very careful with dates and numbers and all of that, but I do find it interesting that since the first quarter of 2020, we find ourselves at a very similar moment in time, approximately three and a half years. Here we are. And whatever you believe about the pandemic, and I've heard many different theories both in and out of the church, one thing is very clear, God had used a global phenomenon to open, if I, in my mind, and what I believe by the Holy Spirit, to open up, if you wish, furrows and ditches for the seed of the gospel and for the rains of revival to flow into. And what makes this particular revival different than the ones of the past is that, one, it's not geographically constrained to one place. First and second great awakenings, Wales, Azusa Street, Laterane, typically all of these were geographically constrained. But this is something that affected an entire globe at one time. There was nobody on this planet that wasn't somehow affected by COVID. Whether they got the virus, they knew somebody that got it, it affected their economics. It, man, who knows how it affected everybody, but we were all affected somehow. If nothing else, standing in line to buy toilet paper. We were all affected. And I want to say to you that we stand in a moment that there's heavy rain beginning to fall. Show this first picture. In February of 1970, there was what is known now as the Asbury Revival, a little school in Wilmore, Kentucky. And God uniquely fell at a chapel service. My wife's brother was a student at Asbury during this revival. So we have first-hand account of what happened there. Next picture. February 2023. Same spot, same revival. Interesting that now what we were prophesying mere months ago is now just reporting the news. And what's interesting is that the very same phenomena, a group of students just wanting more of God, hanging out after a chapel service. There was no particular speaker, no worship, no evangelist, no altar call. Everything that one thinks you have to have for a move of God, God did it after the meeting both in 1970 and in 2023. My new definition of hangry, 
hanging and hungry. Hanging out, hungry for God. Hangry. And these hangry students found God falling. And listen to me. Thousands and thousands of believers got on buses and trains and planes, and they all went to Wilmore, Kentucky, this little, this, this little hamlet, if you wish. But our pastor in Denver, Colorado, called me, David Hermes. And David said, Pastor, he said, I don't want to go to Wilmore. I want Wilmore to come to Denver. I said, David, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You hold on to that. But the question for us, do we want it? Are we prepared for it? Because that's what God's looking at and looking for in this hour. I was speaking at a church in Austin, Texas in January of this year. Had a very unusual meeting on a Sunday night. People got healed, baptized in the Holy Ghost. And a few months later, the pastor texted me. He said, Pastor, here things have exploded since your visit. Have almost 4,000 saved this year. Hundreds, hundreds of healings and miracles and hundreds baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, I was back in that same pulpit in Austin, Texas. And the pastor said, our church has grown 44%. Since the same time last year, God's doing this around the globe in this particular moment. God came. Rain is falling. But the question for us this morning is how do we respond? We've moved beyond just expectation and preparation, but how do we respond in this moment? First of all, let me define revival for you just for a second. Because revival, depending on what tradition you might come from, what it, it, many times churches have revivals, which is just a series of meetings. But let me say to you that the definition that we're using for revival is not a church meeting. It's something sovereign and supernatural that God does in a place with a people in a given period of time. Definition. The supernatural superimposition of God's kingdom on temporal kingdoms, both personal and corporate. Let me say that again. The supernatural superimposition of God's kingdom on temporal kingdoms, both personal and corporate. Now listen to me. Most of the time when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we're either speaking of a future event or we're talking about the benefits of that kingdom in our kingdom. But let me say to you that many times I believe we have limited, we have truncated what it means to be dual citizens of an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom concurrently and most of the time as it involves how we live our lives today it's only the benefits of that earth of that uh, heavenly kingdom rather than the response and the responsibilities of being citizens of that kingdom you can't have a kingdom without a king listen to me 
And so many times, well, I want all the benefits of what I'm going to get when I get there, and I'm going to drag them down into this realm. Let me just tell you, there's more to being a heavenly citizen, a heavenly kingdom citizen, than just receiving the benefits of it. We've got to receive the authority of it, the response and the responsibility of it as well. And if we want revival, we've got to understand some things about the kingdom. First Kings 18, we, we see this moment. Elijah has worshipped. He's built an altar. Fire has fallen from heaven in affirmation and approval of the worship that he has provided. We see that the people respond. They fall prostrate. The Lord, he is God. And the enemies of God, the prophets of Baal, are slain. All of these are beautiful foreshadowings of what revival really looks like. Fire, heaven, fire falling from heaven, the approval of God. Very much like at the day of Pentecost. We see on Mount Carmel fire falling to consume the sacrifice, but we see another fire falling at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The moment of the birth of the church where the Holy Spirit gets released in a way that the earth has never seen before. Tongues of fire begin to fall. People worshiping God in languages they haven't previously known. Rushing wind. And all these phenomena that, quite frankly, had no precedent anywhere. Recorded in the law and the prophets, nothing in oral tradition as to this is how it was going to happen, but this is how God did it. And I'll talk more in just a moment, but we need to be very, very aware that whatever our superimposition, our expectations of what revival might look like, we may have to adjust in order not to miss what God is doing in this hour. And we see Elijah in this particular moment, and he says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. Ahab. Once again, the leader, the king of Israel, he tells Ahab, go down, eat and drink. Interesting, the command he gives him. But what does Elijah do? Elijah has heard something, but now he needs to see it with his own eyes. It says he climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he got down and he began to pray. Seven times he sent his servant back and forth. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Finally, after the seventh time, Gehazi comes back. He says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Some of us stop praying after the first time. The third, the fifth. Well, certainly God's not going to do it. Elijah had heard something. He had a word from God. He knew what God was going to do in this moment. And he kept praying. He kept pressing until he had manifestation. This is what I've been waiting for. And then the rain began to fall. And Elijah told Ahab, hitch up your chariot. Go back home before the rain stops you. Interesting. But what did Elijah do? It says, tucking his cloak in his waistband, says he ran all the way 
to Jezreel, outrunning Ahab's chariot. 25 miles, roughly the distance of a modern marathon. It's very interesting, the contrast that we see here. You see, when we get into these moments where God is moving, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out in unusual ways, everything accelerates. Things begin to move into supernatural proportions, including the time. Listen to me. Things that have been held back and been in delay, when we get in a moment of God like this, everything begins to get released and accelerated. Some of you, where things have seemingly been so slow to be almost glacial, there has been a discouragement. The Bible says that Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Listen to me. This is a moment that things are about to speed up in and around your life. In your family, things that have been held back. There are days of acceleration as we come into these moments of revival. And yet what's interesting is that he told Ahab, This rain will slow you down, but it will speed me up. You see, what we see in Ahab is a picture of the carnal man. So how do we then run in the rain like Elijah? What we see again is an amazing contrast of a carnal man and a spiritual man. First of all, Elijah ran, Ahab rode. Some of us have been riding a long time. You know, it's an interesting thing about chariots is that they're uniquely man-made. They are pulled by man-trained horses. Chariots have to traverse on man-made pathways or roads. There's no choice. Everything about Ahab is man-made. It's, if you wish, carnal. And if you'll allow me to change that word, open the definition for you a moment, many times we narrowly define carnal as sin. Could I help you out here? Carnal is anything of the flesh that excludes the Spirit of God. And while it may not be overt sin according to the law, listen to me, many of us are just like Ahab. We become excellent chariot drivers, our own pathways, those things of our own making. And then sometimes God will bless a little bit and we think we're good. But listen to me, at best, many of us live A very mixed life between the carnal and the spiritual. Years ago, I was pastoring a church in North Carolina. And this dear lady had gotten diagnosed with cancer. And the church had stood and prayed. And she she got up one Sunday to testify that she had been healed. She was cancer free. Now, it's a great moment. But as people tend to do when they get diagnosed like this, she and her husband had begun to eat in a very healthy way. 
So they were like shoving 20 pounds of carrots a day into their Vitamix. I mean, just pounds and pounds and pounds of carrots. They were pounding carrots, but they were drinking it. Now, what happens with us melanin-challenged people is that when you eat that much beta-carotene, you look like a cartoon character. I'm not kidding. You turn orange. And these dear folk who were also melanin-challenged, they were standing there in front of the congregation, and they looked like cartoon characters. They were glowing in the dark. And she began to testify about all of the benefits of a raw diet and juicing and carrots and all of this. And, 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 oh my, and by the way, Jesus also helped. And I brought her into the office the next week. I said, sweetie, I said, I'm so happy for what God's done for you. I said, but you need to decide. Did Jesus of Nazareth touch your body? Or were you healed by Bugs Bunny? You need to be sure who's getting credit for this healing. Now, that may sound like details. It's not. Trust me. And yet, many, many times, you and I are in the very same place with our own chariot driving. The matrix by which we make decisions in our life, so many times it originates either in our emotions or in our own cognition. And yet my Bible says this. It says in Psalm 20, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Who's doing it? Eric Hoffer, an author, says, where, is the necessary, where there is the necessary technical skill to move mountains, there is no need for the faith that moves them. My goodness. And rain hinders the man-made. Joshua chapter 3 They are about to, they're finally entering into the promised land. Generations of promise. And Joshua gives orders to the people, Joshua 3, 3 through 4. When you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priest carrying it, you're to move out from your positions. Then you will know which way to go. Why? Since you have never been this way before. Hear me. We've got the word of God. We have got the promises of God that are right in view in front of us. But what is the admonition? Don't move until you see the Ark of the Covenant going before you. Because we don't know where we're going. We don't know how to get there. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. If we're going to navigate this hour, it's got to be done by the leading of the Holy Ghost. Because we've never been this way before. Hear me. This church in Austin I was just referencing. They had given up on spiritual gifts. Given up on prophecy. Because it had gotten so strange, so weird, so esoteric. And they took a chance one more time. 
on this chunky guy right here. I'm taking no credit for what God did. But what God did broke that church open because they dared to say, we've never been this way before. And hear me, God wants to lead us into some areas of our own promised land. But the only way we're going to get there is by following him. Very important that you hear this. The second thing is that in these particular moments, we get into a place of unusual resistance. And I miss this one. You know, prophetic people, are they, 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 get, they get very verbose when they finally get something right. I saw that. I got that. I prophesied that first. Who cares? But they're a little slower to say, I missed that one completely. So I stand before you this morning saying, I missed this one. I've been preaching on some aspect of revival now since the summer of last year. But I missed the fact that the devil would just step aside and let it happen. (laughs) I had no idea of the revolt and the resistance that was coming. I totally missed it. And I got to tell you that the past year of my life, spiritually, in terms of spiritual warfare, have been the worst. Every side. From the sickness of a parent, burying a parent, ecclesiastical conflict to the left and to the right, everywhere I turn, there's been resistance and conflict. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't just stand back and say, whoo, missed that one. No. He's going to do everything that he can to keep you from this rain. Elijah, I mean, all of these miracles, fire, the prophets of Baal slain, rain coming after three and a half years, running into Jezreel, but he ran into a little gal there named Jezebel. And Jezebel says, son, I'm going to make your life like one of those prophets that you killed. You're going to die. Let me tell you, my man Elijah barely broke stride. He kept right on running, right into the desert, right into the wilderness. And he wasn't running for his health. He was running for his life. And he got out there and he asked God, kill me. After all of these miracles, he was in such despair in his soul. And let me tell you, the enemy doesn't just step back and let you have it. And in in this moment of incredible openness in the heavenlies, incredible opportunities that it presents on the earth, there is incredible opposition that always comes with it and if we don't understand how these things converge many times we can say well it must not be revival because this doesn't meet my expect I thought that revival would just be wee baby show me the money it doesn't work that way and many of you this has been your testimony as well It's like, Pastor Jim, I hear what you're saying, but man, I have been under it. Congratulations. You're right on time. 
And lastly, rain reveals. As I get older, I have to reduce things to simpler and simpler forms. And I've come to see as I've studied the tactics of the devil, Sun Tzu, the art of war. How does he operate? The Bible says we're not unaware of his schemes. Guys, I'm pretty much convinced that the primary modus operandi of the enemy is to do one thing, obscure God, period. Okay, now does he incite sin? Yes. Does he have demons that get involved? Yes. Are there curses? Yes. All those things. But I'm convinced that the primary way that the enemy wants to operate is just to keep you from seeing God in you and in your situation. Period. We look back at past hurts. All we're trying to do to help those hurts is to get Jesus plugged right into that moment. And so many times we get jammed up. The first thing the enemy does is saying, he's not here. If he really loved you, he'd show up. He'd help you in this marriage with these children in your finances. God doesn't care. I'm convinced it's the primary operation of the devil. Even for the unbeliever, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see this gospel in the light of the glory of Christ. It's a spiritual problem. It's not a head problem. It's not just an apologetics problem. It's a spiritual problem that the enemy has deceived. What do you think deception is? It keeps us from seeing accurately. That's all that word means. And in a moment of revival, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, there's blessing. There's benefit. But if we come in and out of whatever this season looks like, and we've just got a fatter bank account, our bodies feel better, our marriages are better, and our children are not acting the fool, and we've missed God We've missed this revival. If all we take from it is benefit and we don't have a greater revelation of who this God is, shame on us. Shame on us. And let me tell you what happens concurrently in moments like this. God not only reveals himself, but he reveals us. This is a bit terrifying. Back in the mid-90s, this, pa- this church I was pastoring, one August, folk began to weep, cry. And I thought, gosh, I know my preaching's bad. I just didn't know it was that bad. On the floor, crawling underneath their chairs, and a deep spirit of conviction fell on that little church. Folks crying out for mercy, cleansing. In September, the Holy Spirit fell on that little church. Joy, laughter fell on us. But what was interesting was what preceded that moment. It was deep 
revelation of self. And if you look at some of the great accounts of scripture of angelic or, or divine encounter, the prophet Isaiah, I mean, what, what did he say? I am what? Ruined. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips among unclean people. Paul, a deep revelation, the architect of grace in the New Testament. This is the guy that got it. But in Romans 7, listen to how he describes himself. He says, it's here somewhere, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, the history of revival. And this is a place that I think that we can draw a thread through historical moments. It's always a moment of deep personal revelation, conviction, cleansing. Hear me. Man, I got to tell you, God has had his floodlight on my life. Showing me things about myself. It has not been pretty. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. It's been concurrent with a deeper revelation of who he is. Hear me. Sometimes we need to look into the abyss of what we, who we are and what we're capable of. Because it's in that moment God says, but. But. But for my grace, now look up and look at me. Listen to me. And this will revolutionize your worship. It will revolutionize your understanding of not just that which you've been rescued from. You've been rescued from you. Amen? Amen. But it takes revelation because we all don't feel too bad about ourselves. You ever had a moment say, well, I've never killed anybody. I'm not Adolf Hitler. Well, good for you, champ. But let me just tell you, the same stuff still resides on the inside of you. It's called the sin nature. That you still have to be set free and redeemed from. Oh my goodness. And this is another aspect of revival. It's revelation. So what have I said this morning in closing? Draining. And I'm not just talking about the remnants of a hurricane. Draining. Question is, do you see it? Are we going to get under the cloud? It's time to stop riding and to start running. Some of us have been riding in somebody else's chariot. Somebody else's Bible study, somebody else's relationship with God, somebody else's revelation. Let me just tell you, God says, I want you to run now. You know, we walk by faith, but we run in the Spirit. Hear me. It's time to begin to run. Understanding that resistance is going to be right there because that's just what he does. That's what the devil does. He tries to keep us seeing what's always been there, which is God. And that revelation of God revealing himself in this moment like never before. Pastor Eddie, join me up here. Let's pray.
the writer of Hebrews writes this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. It means there's things that hinder that are not just sin. That's so easily entangled. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we stand here this morning and asking, God, empower us to run that race. Unencumbered, unhindered whether ourselves and what we have entangled ourselves with or that which the enemy has tried to throw upon us. Lord, we throw it all off that we can run in this rain. In Jesus' name.